This call is being recorded. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Pink Atheist. I'm your host, Rachel Johnson. And with me today, I have Jennifer Lovejoy, and she wants to talk about her conference that is coming up. Hi, Jen. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. It's a beautiful sunny day, so I don't I don't have much to complain about. <laughs> oh, that's always wonderful. So you have a conference coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's the Carolina's Secular Conference. This is going to be, let's see, I think our fourth year. I've been doing it for so long, I'm starting to forget what year we're on. <laughs> um, the, isn't that bad? The, yeah, the Carolina Secular Association started um, several years ago, I guess it's been about six years ago, with a billboard campaign that, that happened in North Carolina. And they put up billboards in all the major cities across the state that just said, One Nation Indivisible. Um, and it, it garnered a lot of attention, including international news. And that we decided to continue this association in hopes that we could have like a speakers bureau to help groups bring in speakers across the state, help some of the smaller groups. Well, then South Carolina decided they wanted to get involved, so we became the Carolina Secular Association. And um, you know, a couple of the guys said we really should do a conference. And so that first year, they did a conference in Wilmington right over there on the beach area. And it was a huge success, and people loved it. And our association continued to grow. And so now we have southern Ohio, southern Virginia, eastern Tennessee, um, northern Georgia, and, and I think we now have like one or two groups from Florida that have joined us. So it's really more of an eastern um, United States kind of um, organization. But yeah, so we've got our, our fourth annual uh, Carolina Secular Conference. It's going to be this fall, the last weekend in September, which is the 26th through the 28th. It's going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina this year. And it's three days of like amazing speakers and networking sessions. We're going to have like a costume party, um, entertainment. Um, we're even going to do kind of our own take on Sunday assembly, that Sunday morning, the final day of the conference. And it's going to be a ton of fun. Oh wow, that sounds wonderful. Now, do you is it too early in the game to know, or do you already have your speakers lined up? We've got our speakers lined up. We've got Steve Alquist, um, Greta Christina. She's going to talk about her new book. Uh, Faisal Saeed Amutar is going to talk about what's happening in Iraq and in the global global secular humanist movement. We've got Mandisa Thomas, uh, Bridget Crutchfield, Harry Shaughnessy, and Fred Edwards, who's with United Corps. He's going to do a whole marketing seminar, which I've taken. It's amazing. And so for anybody who's really looking to market their group, to grow their group, it's an awesome seminar. And then we also have um, a special guest performer, Rapper Graydon Square, is going to be there. Oh, how awesome is that? Mm-hmm. I can't wait. It's just going to be, it's going to be fun. I, um, we're going to kick it off Friday night with a costume party. This is the first time we're going to do a costume party. So I'm super excited because who doesn't like to get dressed up? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And now tell me something. Do you guys ever have issues? Because you, you are right in the heart of the Bible Belt there. Um, do you ever have issues with protests, with people not wanting to hold your events, uh, issues like that? No, you know, so far we've been really fortunate. I think bigger cities make a, a difference. Um, I've always hoped maybe we would get protests because then maybe we would get some news out of it. But, you know, the hotel, this is the second time we're doing it in Charlotte, this particular hotel. Um, and it's the, um, the Hilton Executive Park um, there in, in Charlotte near the airport. And 
we held it there last year, and they were so fantastic to us. And, you know, we we have a bar set up, you know, on Friday and Saturday night, and so, you know, you've got staff coming in and out, and a lot of them were stopping and listening to what the speakers were talking about and um, were interested in what we had to say. And we're actually, you know, we have tables set up, all the different groups, local groups set up tables. We have national groups that set up tables with information. And so the staff there was going around and looking at the different tables and the information, which I just thought was awesome. Yeah, that absolutely is. It has such a great potential to change people's mind, and especially where you need it the most, in the place where people are convinced that the Bible is real and, and truly correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I and you know, the Carolinas I, I also happen to be the co chair for the North Carolina chapter for the Secular Coalition for America. And so every time a new bill gets introduced, I get an email about it. And when I first started doing this a couple of years ago, I thought they were punking me. I thought the person was like messing with me, sending me false bills to be funny. Um, kind of a hey newbie, you know, little prank there. And it wasn't. These are actual bills that pe they're trying to pass in the Carolinas. And it's things like declaring the state uh, religious Christian um, to trying to put Bible, you know, uh, education into our school systems. It's, it's insane what they try to get away with here in the Bible Belt, which is why things like this conference are, are so important. So people see that we're here, um, and there's a lot of us here. And, and I also think it's a great opportunity because people can come and learn more about uh, what we are about and who we are and see us in a different light. And yeah, even if they showed up protesting, you know, it, that becomes an opportunity to get to them because they're going to see you there. And I've seen some very great debaters outside of, uh, you know, conferences going at it with Christians. So that becomes a situation where other people who are going by or stopping to listen get an education because, you know, we both know how much atheists are educated in the Bible. Yes, <laughs> probably more so than anybody else. <laughs> and I think for them that's their worst problem because, you know, they come there and they want to quote all of these horrific things that atheists and then atheists obviously can point back at them because... They typically break their own rules daily. Yes. Uh, yeah, they really cherry pick with which things in the Bible they want to follow. Um, and, and I've always found that interesting. And I think so many of us that came from religion that became atheists, it's because we really read the Bible. Um, you know, you look at um, all the ex-pastors, um, former Christian pastors that are now atheists, I think, you know, same thing. The more they studied the Bible and what was happening, the more they realized that this can't be right. Like, <laughs> Well, it is hard, honestly, to continue to believe in the Bible when you face reality every day. Reality is not pretty. I, I, I seriously sit around sometimes and see things that just drop my jaw and say to myself, how does anybody continue to believe the Bible when this horrific thing just happened, like, right in their life. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, praise God for this and that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> God has a plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's always got a plan, but nobody can figure out what the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I had somebody, you know, really kind of corner me one day and was like, what if there is a hell? And, you know, they just wanted me to answer that question. Finally, I did. I said, you know what? I would rather go to hell than worship your God. 
And they seemed stunned. They seemed so stunned by that. But it's the truth. Like, there's no way that I could worship a God that that has committed all these atrocities, for starters, but then continues to allow bad things to happen. Um, I just, no, thank you. (laughs) Well, it's like loving that perpetual dictator who, you know, constantly tortures you, and it's, it's like Stockholm Syndrome, honestly. You just yes. get constantly tortured, and you have to love and praise the torturer. And if not, there are worse penalties. What's worse than this torturer? Every day of your life, what's worse than that? I just, I don't know how people do it. It's okay, um, I'll save you a seat right next to me in Hitchens. Well, I always say that hell can't be that bad now because that's where all the scientists went. So we probably have an open bar and air conditioning and, you know, movie theater. (laughs) Hell's probably the most comfortable place you could ever want to be if that's the ticket. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, I don't... um, I get people having a hard time letting go of there being a God or a higher power. Like that, I understand. Um, yeah. my, my youngest son considers himself spiritual, which I always laugh at that word because it's just such a bizarre description, but he believes there's something else. He doesn't know what it is, but he believes there is something bigger than him, something else. But, like, he hates religion and the, the concept of it and doesn't like the Christian God. And so I can understand people wanting to believe there's something else out there. Um, but to, to worship, um, a God that's cruel, that, that you know, allows, you know, rape and, and torture and, and, you know, killing of children. And, like, I don't, that I don't understand. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got another thing that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing next weekend, and so I'm just going to go ahead and announce it here because I'm very excited. Um, be Secular is setting up a booth at the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina, this next weekend. And Shannon Nebo with Be Secular is going to be there. And I've been asked to go and do the tabling with her. So she and I are going to be at this table all weekend camping out, which I'm not an outdoorsy girl, so this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Um, But it's a progressive Christian festival. And so we will be the only atheists supposedly, um, in a, yeah, in a progress, progressive Christian um, festival. It's um, Mark Sandlin. He's, um, he's the reverend from the, the Christian Left, the Guard article in, in Patheos. A really nice guy, very progressive, and very much so believes in the separation of church and state. And I know that him and, and, and the Nebos with Be Secular have worked with him on other projects. And so I'm excited. I think this is going to be Really, really interesting and a wonderful opportunity for um, for people to kind of see us in a different light. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but that's going to be interesting, spending, you know, three and a half days out camping with Christians. I haven't done that since I was a Christian. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, are, are they going to be aware of your status as an atheist? Yes, we're going to have a sign that says, like, hug an atheist. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting, and I'm I'm excited to do it because I'm one of those people that, that I think there are things that we need to all come together, like the separation of church and state, and it's really important if we can get 
you know, religious people to join us in that to ensure that, that, that the separation of church and state remains, you know, in our country. Um, but again, yeah, I haven't been around that many Christians in, you know, probably 15 or 20 years. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Well, you know, I, I think that, because uh, I've changed a lot over this last year, and, and my boyfriend, he is a quote-unquote Christian. He's, like, more on the spiritual side than the actual religious side. So I, I don't have to confront, you know, some extremist point of view every day. Um, but I, I think that that's just it. There does need to be... I can understand being an extreme anti-theist because religion does do some devastating things. And I can also understand working together with people. I think that that's the bridge we need to build. Yes, religion does horrible things. Yes, we need to stop them from doing horrible things. But in the same token, we also need to build bridges between people who are willing to be sensible and stand up and say, look, you know, atheists are human beings and they deserve rights and good treatment just like anybody else. So I I think that's wonderful. And I think that if we do nothing but bash religion and and that's how they see us as people who are attacking them as opposed to um, maybe an ally in something. And I think when we can be allies, we should. Um, religion itself does horrible things, but there's a lot of really good people. You know, one of my best friends uh, was a Sunday school Baptist teacher. And, you know, she's stood by me and been my friend through all of, you know, the activism that I've done. And um, really the only difference we have is that I don't think there's a God and she does. So much of our, our other views are the same. And so, yeah, I think when we can bridge gaps, um, I think that's a great thing to do. So anybody who's you know listening out there, if you happen to be in the Hot Springs, North Carolina area, it's the Wild Goose Festival, and it's June 26th through the 29th. Um, stop by and see us. I'll be at the Be Secular table, and you can come hug an atheist. <laughs> Although I might be sweaty. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> hug a sweaty atheist. I think you need to add that to your sign. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I'm sure you'd get so much more hugs. <laughs> and there's supposed to be like food tents and beer tents and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to be kind of cool. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. I really love what you're doing. And uh, I love Be Secular. They're great. Mark and Shannon are both very wonderful yeah. people. And yes. I don't. I cannot say enough nice things about them. And, in fact, that's why I was up so late, because we did a conference call last night so we could talk about, like, what we needed to bring and, you know, because we're basically camping out there. And, again, I'm not an outdoorsy kind of person. Um, and it just turned into Shane and I staying up till like three or four in the morning talking um, about you know the movement about everything you know our personal lives and and you know what was happening in in the country and just a little bit of everything and they're just amazing people. I love Be Secular. I love what it stands for. I love that when you buy their products that you can choose where a portion of that money goes. You can. You know, you can choose from a variety of national groups and local groups and and different organizations, or all of it can go to them. But I just think what they're doing is great, and so I'm excited that I was asked to be part of this um, to represent Be Secular. Um, that was a tremendous honor, and um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully, I won't get too mosquito bitten. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I just figured if it if it got a little miserable with the bugs, then I would just drink more alcohol, and it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> 
You'll wake up way dehydrated. <laughs> the mosquitoes will drain you and the alcohol will too. <laughs> um, and it's great. The festival is like 30 miles from my house. And so I told Shannon, I was like, you know, if we run out of anything, we'll just call my husband and make him bring it to us. <laughs> <laughs> the best of both worlds. That's wonderful. Yep. Oh. And apparently it's about 2,500 people that come to this festival. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of people that we, you know, will be able to reach out to. And, um, you know, they'll have T-shirts and stuff for sale, but there's also going to be some free giveaways. Uh, we're working on surprises. Um, we talked about some last night, and so I'm, I'm excited. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about, like, 2,500 people that we get to reach out to. And, again, these are very progressive Christians. But, again, just for them to be able to, to meet us, um, see what kind of people we are, because I'm sure there are some that still kind of have misconceptions. And I just, I really appreciate uh, Reverend Mark Sandlin for inviting Be Secular. Um, I, you know, he's, he's the one that got the booth and he's sharing his tent space with us. And I just, that says a lot about who he is as a human being. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think that there are people out there willing to reach across that, like I said, the bridge before. And, uh, it's great that you were invited, and Mark and Shannon seem to have that going for them, that they can reach out to the religious community as well and try to get, you know, they're actually tr helping everybody with Be Secular. And I know that uh, the Pink Atheist actually, you know, has a uh, contract with them, and we would talk about them, and they have some great products. They're amazing people, and they are able to work with that. And I know... You know, honestly, that there are people that have problems with organizations that work with religious people because we do have a community of very different people and some that absolutely loathe anything to do with religion. But as we were talking about before, there are some places where we do have to come together. It's a necessity because if nobody ever moves, then we'll both stand on the sides, you know, each side just staring at each other and nothing can ever be accomplished. Absolutely. And if, you know, people like us, you know, our community and people like progressive Christians are the ones that want that separation of church and state. Well, if we're not coming together, we're kind of battling each other or avoiding each other, then, you know, the extremist right wing that always seem to be the loudest are going to wind up getting what they want done. And so by us coming together and working together, you know, we're increasing our numbers as a whole and we can make a real difference with, with the, you know, some of the, the new bills that have been passed in this country. And also things like, you know, getting... Um, gay marriage legalized throughout the country. You know, we need those progressive Christians on our side to, to help us fight the good fight. That That's true, and that's a good point there, Jennifer, because that's an important one. Everybody should have the right to equality in marriage, and uh, that can't happen soon enough. So, uh, you know, Christians who are okay with it and who accept it as, you know, two people who just love each other, that's wonderful. I'm often boggled by the people who say that it'll lead to bestiality and stuff like that, which just blows my mind because two humans, adult consenting, is nowhere close to, you know, a human and an animal or a human uh, doing horrific things to a child. So. Right. Yeah, I, um, I've always found that leap. Like, oh, if we let gay people marry, the next thing you know, they're going to be marrying their cars. And I'm like, what does that have to do with a person? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's just their 
go-to response. It's probably what their pastor said to them, and so they're just regurgitating it. Um, but yeah, that's that's you know another one of those issues where we can really we can come together and and make a positive change. Um, education is another one. You know, if we want secular education to stay secular, and we want to make sure that our, our not all of our art programs get shut down, and and that you know that the, the children who come to school hungry are getting food, you know, we need these progressive Christians to, to work with us. And so I think any time that, that we can come together on important issues, you know, feeding the homeless, um, there are so many social issues out there that, that need and deserve our attention and our time and our effort. And so, yes, when we can all come together and make a change, that can't be a bad thing. Absolutely not, and in fact, I think it's a good thing because America needs some change right now. You know, the older Republican voices have really made some headway, and it's horribly scary. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about while I had you on the phone, and I don't know where you stand on this issue, but I would be interested to hear, and I've been debating on my wall for days now with various people um, about gun control, and you know, I'm one of those people who's for sensible gun control, excuse me. And I don't believe in, you know, it's not a free-for-all gun grab where you just take everybody's weapons. Um, My dad is a, well, he used to hunt more before he got too old for, you know, standing in the woods for hours in the cold. But, you know, I grew up around guns, and uh, I just don't see the point why People want to own military-grade weapons with huge clips and rounds and, you know, uh, behave like they're part of some militia, which is painfully only in their head. Yeah, and it's frightening. The fact that people are walking into restaurants and stores with semi-automatic weapons, that is terrifying to me, and I don't understand um, I, I do have relatives that do carry concealed, they carry a small handgun. I'm not even comfortable with that. I don't think people need to be walking around with weapons on them. Um, I think that, you know, I think that leads to bad things happening. Um, but yeah, walking around with semi-automatic weapons, you know, I've been, it's been all over the news. And those, those people are crazy. Um, nobody needs that. I mean, if you have a rifle because you hunt, it's how you feed your family. Uh, you know, I live out in the country. A lot of my neighbors hunt, um, and it, that is. That's how they feed their families. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I've been around guns most of my life. I was also military and, and you know, had a weapon. My husband was military police, and he actually carried several weapons. And there's no need for that in our neighborhood. Like, I don't need to walk around with a semi-automatic weapon when I go to the grocery store. Um, when I see the pictures of people, uh, like Target's been a big one lately, and I really, really hope Target steps up and starts banning that. But when you see pictures of men with semi-automatic rifles in the baby section of a Target, they are not, they are not trying to make a statement that, you know, hey, it's okay to carry. They're there to, to frighten people, to let them know, look, my gun is bigger than yours. Um, I, I think it's weak. I think it's sick. And, you know, women are killed by more, are, are killed more often by, by guns than anybody else. We are the ones that are m- the most victims of, of gun violence. And so um, I, I speak very loudly and as often as I can that we need stricter gun laws, period. And nobody, 
Nobody needs a semi-automatic or an automatic weapon. Nobody. Well, and I completely agree with you there because the, the deal is this. First of all, how are you to tell that they're not there to shoot you? What have we been taught through seeing the events of history? People walking into stores with guns, it usually doesn't have a happy ending. You know? Exactly. So between the customers shitting themselves because you, they just saw you walk in with this automatic weapon and the fact that you're proudly touting it like some uh, fear-mongering warlord, you know, you set this bad example for America that we are a bunch of backward hillbillies who don't know what responsible gun ownership is. And then you see these pictures of these, these men that are dressed like slobs and look hideous. How would you believe that that person was a good guy and he was just exercising his rights? I would be scared out of my mind. I would spend days crying because I was around them. This simply has gotten out of control. Oh, if I was sitting in a restaurant and a bunch of men walked in with semi-automatic weapons, I would hit the ground. Exactly. And would be calling 911. And I'm so angry because they're one of the groups, and I don't remember which state... Um, but, you know, if you call 911, those are, that's public record, you know, and you can get access to it. And some group was getting um, access to all the people who called 911 um, when they showed up at places with their guns and were releasing that information online. So the people who called 911 because they were genuinely afraid, they thought something was happening, now they're being, you know, taunted online um, for calling the police. Which is ridiculous because in any other case, it would have been the right thing to do. I mean, think about that. You can't tell that these guys aren't hostile. So they walk in with these guns, and you call 911 fearing for your and other people's safety, which, you know, considering the number of mass shootings that have happened lately, sensible thing to do, call 911. Yep. So it wasn't the case, and, and they have the right to be doing it. Does that mean they have the, the right to be doing it in your face? Like, and, and isn't it a power grab at that point? Because they know that the rest of, of who's in that restaurant is at the mercy of their ego. Yes. Like I said, I, I, I'm not saying we have to ban guns altogether, but nobody needs to carry a semi-automatic rifle around. You just don't need to. The fact that they intentionally stand in, like, the baby aisle at Target or go to... Um, you know, family-friendly fast food restaurants, they're intentionally standing where children are to, to, to rub it in our faces. And I think that is absolutely sick. If I saw somebody with a gun in, like, the, the hunting section of, like, Walmart or whatever, I probably wouldn't think twice about it because, you know, they, they sell things there. And I wouldn't have thought, but standing in, like, the baby aisle, um, with your AR-14 is ridiculous. Um, I find it repulsive. I cannot believe that any state allows that. That I cannot believe as a nation we allow that to occur. I, we've had so many shootings in this country lately, and it seems to be happening more and more. And the fact that America, instead of saying, hey, we need to change our gun laws, their response is, oh, no, everybody needs a gun now. I mean, they talked about... Um, arming teachers, because that's what I want to do, is send my child to school with a teacher who has a, um, a loaded weapon on them. I mean, I just, I, I don't understand the thinking behind it. 
Well, yeah, and I've said this, you know, what about teachers who flipped out at school or kids that are teenagers who could potentially grab the teacher and do more harm with the weapon? Our teachers should not be carrying weapons because it's not safe for everybody in general. Just like right. putting police officers in schools. What are we saying to our children besides we can't control guns, so we have to create this military state? We're, we're basically weaponizing everywhere you want to go. How long before you need a personal security guard to be safe in the street? Yeah, I. And the people who keep saying, "Oh no, if we just, if you just arm yourself," well, actually, statistics have proven that people with guns are like, what is it, two or three times more likely to be killed by their own weapon? <laughs> I mean, there's. There, are, there have been studies. I mean, it's, it's a proven fact that arming everybody makes the place more dangerous, not safer. Um, I don't, I don't understand. I, I'm very angry with the gun laws in our country. I don't think people need to be carrying weapons. I get people who maybe they don't get off work until two or three a.m. and they have ten thousand dollars on them because they're making a bank deposit for their company when they get off work and they carry. Um, you know, I, I know people who have jobs like that, and I, I kind of understand that. Um, still think there's a better, safer way to handle this situation than arming yourself. But, yeah, these people that walk around, nobody needs a gun in, in Walmart or Target or McDonald's. Like, it's just not necessary. And, you know, there was the guy that uh, his, um, the, his like, gun holster, like the the snap broke or something, and he wound up shooting somebody accidentally. Yeah. And then there's the guy who his gun actually went off in Walmart. Um, and what was it? Oh, the another state that just created open carry, there was two instances of police officers being shot already uh, because, you know, people can walk around with guns, so obviously you can be in public, nobody's going to think anything. Well, a lot of people will, but they know about the law. So you have, like, the potential for so much devastation. I can understand, too, if you, if you have a dangerous job, like you work as a brink security officer or you're doing the deposit and it is late at night because that's kind of scary in and of, uh, of itself. But we can't have all of America, and, and, and it seems to me that the people who are pushing this the loudest also are screaming, Obama's going to take our guns. Hitler did the same thing. He took all of the guns. And it's like, there, you know, there are shades of gray in there. We're not saying take all the weapons. Obama's not saying take all the weapons. Nobody's saying take all the weapons. Right. It is just so hilarious because that's their mindset. It's an either all or nothing situation. And you try to tell people, no, no, this isn't the situation. And they're like, no, you just want to take our guns. No, we want to take away the ones that are big and scary and not necessary for you to have. Uh, the rest of them you can keep, you know. But you, I don't even, because some people say stupid things like, well, I use them for target practice. What kind of target are you using that you need, you know, a gun that carries armor-piercing bullets? Right. Oh, there was the, um, and I don't remember which group it was, but they posted um, pictures and they had taken a female mannequin and, and dressed her in clothes 
and then proceeded to unload like a billion rounds into the mannequin. And in the end, most of her clothes were torn off, and the mannequin was, you know, a lot of it in pieces. And they they were posting pictures of it and making jokes. Oh, wow. I mean, that's sick and twisted. And nobody needs a gun that can fire a billion rounds a second. Like, that's just, that's that's not a good thing. You don't, nobody needs that much, that much weapon. That's, and what gets me is it seems like the the majority of the people that are, that are, walking around carrying weapons and, and buying all these guns are the ones that probably have the least amount of training with weapon safety. Um, I have been very um, much so and very intensely trained with weapons, as was my husband. And you know what? Neither one of us have a gun in our house. Because we know <laughs> that they're not safe to have in your home. And But it seems like, yeah, that the people who that are, that are stockpiling them and walking around with them don't have a lot of safety. And I wonder if any of them ever had a background check run on them. And see, that's, that's what I was saying earlier on a thread that I created. Um, background checks, universal background checks, and a registry for every gun that's ever been made. I think that every serial number of every gun that has ever been sold should be registered mandatorily. And any weapon that uh, doesn't have a serial number or uh, is illegal, um, like, you know, automatic rifles should be, uh, should be rounded up. I'm all for going door to door. People were saying, well, you'll start a war with that. Well, uh, the only people who would want to go to war over having illegal weapons are not the kind of people that should have weapons in the first place. Exactly. They don't need to, they don't need to be having them. So, and I know people who are gun collectors, and um, they have weapons from, you know, spanning like 100 years or 200 years or whatever, um, and they've removed all the firing pins. So the weapons aren't usable. You can't actually fire them. They collect them because they think they're cool. You know, this gun from, you know, the 1700s or whatever, you know, is, is great. And so they collect these weapons, but they've removed all the firing pins so the, the weapons cannot be used. They, you know, they can't be fired. Now, see, my dad has uh, a couple of those. He has, uh, you know, the black powder style guns. He actually, you know, cleans them and he, he shoots them every once in a while. And obviously the pins aren't removed, but things like that don't concern me because honestly, I'm not going to be afraid of you showing up with a black powder gun and hunting down 50 people or 100 people in a theater. I would right. be concerned. <laughs> you know, it's going to take a few minutes. Tam, tam, tam. You know, <laughs> yeah. powder, tam, tam, tam. <laughs> exactly. That's, yes. Well, that's I said that there's, nobody should have an automatic weapon or a semi-automatic weapon. They can fire way too many rounds in a short period of time. And those weapons were intentionally designed by the military to do damage, to wipe out mass amounts of people in a very short amount of time. And that's, people don't need to be carrying that ever. Like, that just should not be out there. Exactly. Well, and, and that's the point. That I don't believe, okay, when they created the Second Amendment, that their intent was to place every kind of weapon in the hands of the people. Way back then, they had the black powder guns. The military had cannons. They had the black powder guns. They had whatever. They had the weapons with the knives on the end. I, I don't know what those are called, honestly. Um, but, I, you know, they couldn't predict a couple hundred years ago 
what the future would bring of weaponry. I think that if Thomas Jefferson could come to the future and see what would come of the creation of weapons, he would go back and change a whole lot of wording in that amendment. No, absolutely. I agree. Honestly, who could foresee that it would get this out of hand? In uh, combat, sometimes it's necessary. If you're, you're, you know, the lone guy and you have to take on 50 enemies that are coming at you or if they have the same type of weaponry, it's going to get ugly. War is war. It's hell. Um, But our backyard and our neighbor's yard should not be. Those are the places where we seek safety and shelter is our home. And, you know, that's something that Americans used to take pride in, is their safety in their backyard. And since 9-11, there's been this media hype and this paranoia about how unsafe we are. And I think that for a lot of people who aren't aren't really mentally uh, bright or able, that has challenged their sense of security so much that they they feel like they need all of these weapons, and it's completely absurd to me. And it's scary. I mean, it just, it's very, very, very scary. Um, And I... I worry. I worry about the future of our country. I worry about things for our children. And, you know, I think I think more people in America are um, either anti-gun or believe there should be stricter gun laws, but I think so many of them are afraid to speak out. They don't want to seem like they're not patriotic or, you know, whatever their thinking is. And And we need to speak out. We need to be very vocal and say, look, you know, I am part of this country and I demand safety. I demand to be able to, um, you know, walk down the streets or go into my local target and not be afraid of getting shot because somebody's gun clip doesn't work correctly. Um, You know, I, yes. Well, and think about this too. Uh, What if you have a quote-unquote bad guy come into there and or two, two, two men or two women or whatever, get into a fight, it escalates. Both of them are carrying weapons. At that point, you have the potential for not only their harm, but other people's harm. There are so many situations that you can't predict that can happen when you allow people. I mean, look at the stories of the Old West. That's, that's what I think of every time people go to the scenarios with me. The Old West was a bunch of people running around with guns, and what happened? You had high numbers of deaths everywhere because there was no restriction on you could walk out in the middle of the street and at 20 paces you could turn around and kill each other. You know, you had people, and this is what people say, oh, well, the bad guys don't listen to regulation. That's why we made laws that punish the bad guys for longer and longer time. That's why we take away their right to ever get a hold of a weapon. That's why we try to keep illegal weapons off the street because we're trying to do the right thing. And we take care, you know, the the government, the police forces are supposed to take care of the bad guys, not you. It's not your personal job. It's their job. That's why they exist. I don't understand how some states allow, you know, convicted felons to carry you know, like a man that's um, been arrested or been convicted of um, assaulting his wife or his girlfriend, and then they allow him to have a weapon. Well, see, 
Okay, here's here's my point on that. Uh, certain kinds of felonies, um, I could see allowing gun ownership again after they have completed whatever restrictions they want. If there was no violence, if they assaulted their wife, if they were a rapist, if they were a murderer, if they did anything violent, they used a weapon. No guns for you. None. Period. And especially exactly. in a case where you have a battered wife. You know that the volatility of that situation is that he, if he has a gun, he's more likely to use it on her. He's obviously violent and obviously uh, unable to control his rage and, and stupidity against a woman. So what makes you think he won't cross that line? Exactly. I've seen, you know, I've got, I've got a relative that carries concealed, and one night he was out drinking with his friends and actually pulled his gun on somebody. He was drunk, got into an argument. Luckily, um, another family member was there to stop him. And this is, you know, honestly, he's a nice guy. But, you know, you get alcohol in the mix, and, you know, guys talking trash to each other, and temper uh-huh. started flaring. And, yeah, and he had a gun. That could have gone very ugly, very fast. I have a story that I I won't go into detail about. Uh, I'm I'm writing about it in my book. But my dad, uh, him and guns and alcohol do not mix well. And so I know for a fact there are scenarios in which people should not be around guns and guns should be under lock and key. And I was was reading on the CDC website uh, the other day that 43% of gun owners keep their weapons unlocked and loaded. That is scary of its, in and of itself. Mm. That's, that's what I kind of grew up with, my, my stepdad. Um, you know, I, I've talked to you before about him and, and my biological mother, and they were Pentecostal Christian and, and thought the end of times were near, and he was stockpiling weapons, and he had weapons... Uh, attached in places all over the house that were n- no safety and they were loaded. Um, one of which was um, like just behind like the headboard of his bed with a quick release um, holster. So if somebody broke in, he could reach over and, and shoot. Which <laughs> the older I get and the more I read, the more that just frightens the crap out of me. And, and I can't believe, you know, because I, I had a, a half-sister who was 10 years younger than me. So as an infant, these weapons were around the house, no safety, loaded. And people say, oh, well, you can be taught about gun safety. Well, yes, I was. But that doesn't mean that things don't happen. You have friends over, somebody finds a gun. You know, you read about it all the time. Or the man that accidentally shot and killed his child. She uh, had snuck out of the house and was sneaking back in. He thought it was a burglar. And then instead of yelling stop or I'm calling the police or anything, he shot first. You know, they had that shoot first, ask questions later kind of mentality and, and shot and killed his own child. And see, those are the kind of examples, but that's one of, what, thousands of little kids getting a hold of somebody's gun and shooting a sister, a brother, themselves, a, a friend, a parent. I mean, and and. You know, these gun owners will say, well, of course, they don't belong in children's hands. But these are the same people leaving their guns out to get into children's hands. We're not... Yes. And this is what I want to debate with somebody. What is responsible gun ownership? Because we don't really 
have a level that we consider responsible. In America, if you haven't killed anybody or haven't done anything stupid that people know about with your gun, you're considered responsible. I don't think that you should just out of the gate be considered a responsible gun owner. I think it's something that you earn. I think it's something that you have to understand. And I think that you have a uh, an important responsibility about what goes on with that weapon. My dad always taught me that guns are were made to kill. They are not a toy. And that if you point them at someone, you better mean it. So... You know, I, I don't think that there are a lot of people who really take that seriously because otherwise so many children wouldn't get a hold of weapons. It's, it, it's, and it's, not only is it scary, but it's so sad every time I open the news and there was some, an, another accidental shooting. Um, in fact, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, I was, um, I think it was Arizona, I'm trying to remember which state. Anyways, I was reading through their news, and a man just brought home his three-day-old baby from the hospital and was shot and killed by a neighbor's gun that accidentally went off. Uh, luckily, the baby was not harmed. But yeah, this man just so this child is going to grow up without his father because the 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 next door neighbor accidentally shot. And the guy said, told the police, you know, usually with this trigger on, on my gun, you know, you really got to pull it back hard. And he said, I just picked it up, and it, it just went off. And now a man yeah. is dead, and a child is left fatherless. And, and you think about that, uh, that celebratory moment of walking through the door with your brand-new baby when you just want to get home and relax and, and enjoy the fact that you have a brand-new life. And then... He never gets to make that step into enjoying his child, and his life is over. And, you know, that, that neighbor can't give his life back. There's no real compensation that you can ever give to that child for missing out all of the time that they could have spent with their father. It All because the neighbor's stupidity. Yep. And, and this is what really bothers me about this whole debate. It's always about the weapons and not about the people losing their lives. Nobody likes to mention those. They don't like to talk about how, how tragic it is. 11,000 people are murdered every year with guns. 38,000 deaths a year are accountable to weapons, guns particularly. That is a significant amount of people, whether you want to say it's 0.1% of all deaths or whatever. It still matters. These are still human lives. They can't be given back. Us as atheists should take this very serious. You know, I wouldn't. I know that my life is precious. I have one go at it. I don't want it cut short by somebody else's stupidity. So why should we want that for anybody else, especially 11,000 people a year? It's terrible. It absolutely is. And like I said, and I read, you know, the news all the time and the the the, the statistics of women that are killed by guns is is staggering. We are the biggest victims of this this whole gun craze that America has going on. And so for women to not stand up and be like, okay, hey, <laughs> I've had enough, um, I, I don't, we need to make our voices loud. We need to stand up and say, we are not going to tolerate this. We demand better. We demand better for ourselves. We demand better for our country. Um, you know, we demand to be safe, for our children to be safe, and not have to worry about 
somebody accidentally firing a, a gun and killing me or, you know, some crazed person out there, you know, going and, and buying semi-automatic weapons and shooting up the place because, I don't know, a girl didn't like him or he, they think it's the apocalypse or whatever their reasoning is. It's, I, I talk a lot um, with, with friends and online about the, this whole gun craze going on in America and misogyny, and it's, they're tied hand in hand. And it's, it's very sad. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I saw the, the statistics on this. Um, uh, one of my friends on Facebook actually posted the numbers. It's 6,500 women uh, have been killed with guns, whereas uh, 5,000 and some have been killed in the Iraq War. So more women have been killed by their intimate partners with guns than people have died uh, in combat in the Iraq War. Yeah, you know, I I posted that because I wasn't specific, you know, I wasn't sure about the specific numbers, and I had quite a few military people um, say no, those facts and figures have changed. But I think when the survey was done, when the the, the numbers were done, the, those were the correct figures. I know it's changed since then. We've had more shootings. We're still at war, you know. But I think when that when those statistics, when those facts and figures were put together, those were the actual numbers. Because I've heard numerous times that. Um, that more women are killed each year by intimate partners um, than in, in the war going on. Well, and here's the thing. Uh, it, it's been going on. This is an ongoing problem for women since, oh, I don't know history. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. Because the, the fact is when it comes to women and making laws to protect them, uh, Society has been slow and like molasses about doing it. And I know that some of the, the laws protecting women uh, have actually expired. And we need to get this back. But we're facing now a war uh, on women by Republicans who want to say that no, women are no longer victims. They don't need these laws, blah, blah, blah. And then you see numbers like that and you say, where is the real protection for these women? Because obviously it's not happening. I I'm just astounded that 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 when you when you tell people the, the facts and figures, like when I posted that that thing online, and and I said, look, I don't know if these numbers are accurate right now. Um, the amount of people that attacked me, um, and I either got the well, you're just one of those hateful feminists, or um, you you just want to control men and take away their guns and that whole misogynistic thing and 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 it sadly the the religious right is very much so embedded in our government and the people that are running things that are allowing these things to happen I just I I sit back and I'm dumbfounded on a daily basis. It's been it's been quite a few years. Um since Obama got elected it seems like he scared the hell out of the Republican white elitist party and the libertarians. So they, they've they been freaking out for years, but it seems like they're gaining ground and it gets more scary. And that's probably why the number of deaths of women is going up, because the more that they relax gun laws in various states, the more that they allow access to men who should not own weapons. 
And it's not about responsible gun ownership at that point because they're criminals who are violent. We know A and B. C is the next step. We'll use a weapon to do harm. Why is that above it? Because any sociologist or psychologist can tell you that if they're willing to do one type of harm, there's nothing to prevent them from going a step further and doing another type of harm, especially if they know that they're going to be punished anyway. Yes. Yeah, we are, we, are, we are facing a war on women is what we are facing. Well, I will tell you from my personal knowledge, and, and this is very intimate for me, so uh, I, I had one abusive ex who he, he used to like to use his belt buckle on me. And uh, I remember the day that he told me that he wished he could kill me. And I can't imagine there having been a gun in that house because uh, I can imagine he would have actually used it on me. So when it comes to that, I'm very intimate with the knowledge of what happens in domestic violence and how far a person who will abuse you will go. And I can honestly say that he would have been more than willing because at one point uh, I was black and blue all over half of my body and I had a laceration that was two inches in my skull from the belt buckle. So mm. what, would have, what would have prevented him from pulling a trigger? I don't know because at that moment I think that he would have gotten a lot of gratification out of doing that. That's horrific. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had an abusive ex too and who did pull a gun on me. Um, he was very, very drunk and couldn't figure out how to turn the safety off. And I believe the only reason why I'm alive today was because he couldn't figure out how to turn the safety off. Because I think if he would have gotten that safety off, he would have shot me. And um, we, were, we were at Fort Eustis, Kentucky at that time. That's where he was stationed. And the, the police surrounded, because um, the neighbors here you know, could hear the screaming. And so the, the cops were called to so the military police and surrounded our place. And um, he had, I had, you know, my infant child in my arms and he had a gun pointed to me and the cops were yelling at him to put down the gun and come outside. And um, it was in that moment that I knew um, laws had to change. Now, this happened on a military installation where technically um, you're not allowed to have a weapon in your home. If you live on on post um, or on a base, they have a facility that you, you, your personal weapons, you know, get locked up in. You're not allowed to have them in your home. I mean, even the military knows that sending people home with guns is a bad idea. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he just, he went someplace and bought one. Like, you know, it, you know, but yeah, I mean, even the military knows, that, you know, having a weapon in your home is unsafe. And so they have places. So if you, you own weapons and you live on post, you have to go in and, you know, have your have your weapon turned in, and it still happens. Shootings on military bases still happen. Um, people don't, you know, say that they have weapons. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's even, like I said, even the military knows it's a bad idea. Well, and that's because you know that's one of those jobs where it is high stress. But who's to say that being a banker is a high stress, or you know, whatever you do, um, yep. there are a lot of stressed out Americans who are just one push away from snapping. How do we know who you are? You know, we don't. And look at, you know, the military trains you how to break down a weapon, how to handle a weapon, how to shoot a weapon, everything about weapons, and they still don't trust you on their military base with your own weapons. 
So, yeah, that yep. does speak very loudly. What is John Q. Public doing <laughs> uh, that's supposedly right versus a military person willing to surrender their life for their country? Yeah. And, and a person, you know, military who's had training. I mean, like, serious training with, with you know, even if you're a file clerk, when you go through basic, you still get all the same weapons training as, you know, the person who is a, a tanker. Um, and, yeah, and the military does not allow you to have, um, you know, weapons at your home. Uh, and I think rightly so. I, I can't see it, especially on a military base. But, you know, these people, I, what, it, what really scares me the worst is these people who stockpile weapons because there's no limit on the amount of guns that you can own. And these scary stockpile weapons, like they have bunkers full of weapons, like there's going to be some horrendous civil war. Yeah, I people who stockpile weapons scare the crap out of me. Um, and because they're the people who have the mentality that, you know, the end times are coming or, you know, we're, we're at war and, you know, they're the ones that if the police showed up at their house about something completely random, you know, letting them know that a bad storm had happened or they were looking for somebody, whatever it was. They were selling tickets to their charity ball. But those are the people that, you know, that stop those weapons would, again, shoot, shoot first, ask questions later. And, and, you know, we're at 2014 and you have to start looking. How is the future going to be? Our children can't feel safe at school, at home, in the stores, in the street. You know, what can we offer them? And who's the laughing stock of the world? We're supposed to be a first world nation, and all people get to see on the news is how gun crazy we are, how many people get shot all the time here, and how we cannot control guns and uh, what's going on with people's rights to have them and what kind of guns they have. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine living in, like, another country and watching the news? I would never visit America. Like, I, 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 pick any, I think I'd be safer, you know, in, in Iraq just based on the number of shootings that you hear about. I mean, it's every day somebody's being shot. And, and he, we have that going for us. And then we're, what, ranked 42nd in education? I mean, our country's gone down the shitter. And this whole idea of... Um, American pride, <laughs> somehow that means bad education and stockpiling weapons. I, I think that's terrible. That's, that's horrific. I, and it's embarrassing. I, I, I'm embarrassed. And my husband and I were traveling not too long ago, and we met some people from, um, I think they were from Italy. I was trying to remember which country. And we were talking about some of the countries that we wanted to visit. And they all told me, hey, when you're traveling, don't say you're an American, say you're Canadian. They're like, people don't like Americans. And I was like, how sad is that? That you can't even say, hey, I'm from America, because people don't like Americans. Well, we've earned uh, every bit of the disdain that people have for us. Uh, oh, we absolutely you know, have. <laughs> the, the symbol of America has become, uh, forgive me, but a uh, white redneck hillbilly toting guns in a big pickup truck uh, with a, a dirty dog who has no education. That's symbolic of what America is instead of 
you know, um, education, science, math, you know, upbringing. Yeah, something progressive. Yeah. Yeah. A leader in, in, you know, innovation or, no, yeah, the, um, oh, the, that family, Duck Dynasty, those people drive me nuts. One, the fact that they were all, like, preppy and stuff, so they did the show, and, um, but the fact that they say and do the things that they do and the amount of people that stand behind them. I read an article this morning, and it says they get tax breaks and actual money from the state they live in. They get like 70000 a year. The state set it up to bring in more TV and film into their state because it brings money in. Um, and it creates jobs. And so a lot of states do this. They have incentives so people will come and film a movie or a TV show or whatever. But yeah, I read that they get, I think it's like 70000 a year, and I don't know if it's per person um, or all together, but their state has cut education funding, cut teacher benefits, you know, and so the state is giving these, these you know, racist, misogynistic, horrible human beings money, and yet the kids in that state you know, their their education is, is going down. And I think that says a lot about, as America, who we are. I, I would agree with you because, you know, here's the thing. They should be paying the taxes. Look at how many millions they already have. Of course they were preppy. They're millionaires. They're not the, the guys who just stay in the woods and they're like, oh, well, let's do this and we're just humble people. No, they made their buck. Now they're making more off of it and they're benefiting off of other people's poverty. And yep. they're spewing garbage ideas at society. It's society is eating up left and right, and people want to be like this stupid Duck Dynasty people. It's so and I don't understand that. Like, <laughs> I'm like, why? Why would anybody want to be like them? They're not good people. Like, I just, they're not good people. So why anybody would want to be like them um, is beyond me. They say horrible things. And I was so happy when, you know, the patriarch, as he called himself, was removed from the show. Um, I, was, I was proud of the TV station for doing that, for his, like, racist comments and his homophobic comments. And then there was that public outcry. And suddenly he's back on the show. And whether they did it as a rating stunt or whatever the reasoning, it just it upset me, and I won't watch anything on that channel now. Um, but the same thing with um, uh, the restaurant. I can't think of what it's called. Um, Cracker Barrel had removed the products that had his face on it and um, after the comments that, that he had made and wound up putting those back up because their, their customers were offended and they took it as, as people were attacking their religion by removing something, wow. a product that was, you know, from somebody who is homophobic and racist and misogynistic. And yes, they put the products back out because the public, the fans, um, protested. And I was going to add the misogyny because I've heard what he says about his wife on TV, and it's absolutely horrible. Uh, I don't know if he's like that in private, but if he is, that woman is insane for even being married to him. Like, mm -hmm. he, he, 
and and he tried to play that whole Christian role, like I'm the patriarch of this family. Shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to punch him in the face every time he says that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like who the fuck my, do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, and it's you know my husband and I tease each other sometimes, and he'll be like, "I'm the man of the house." Um, because he knows he has absolutely no say-so in anything that happens in the house, and so it's funny. Um, but we also say it to each other. We tease each other when it's just the two of us. Like he wouldn't say that around people um, that might think he was being serious. You know, he's very careful with that. Um, and, you know, we tease each other all the time, but, I mean, I can't imagine staying with somebody. I mean, I divorced my ex. Like, he was misogynistic. I'm not putting up with that. Um, there, are, there are people in this movement and I watch them, they talk about women's rights, and they, they seem like, you know, they're all for it. But then you watch the way they treat their wives or their daughters. And it, it it's so hard for me not to, yeah, punch them in the face. <laughs> well, and, and it's so funny. Have you seen this uh, a lot on your Facebook, These this new movement about men's rights? And to a degree, look, I can argue with a few of their premises, a few. But to say that women are the cause of all the ails of men and how men don't have any real rights, that women really rule the world and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's just crazy. Even believe. And it's yeah. atheist men. It's atheist yes. men who are promoting this. I was I was at the American Humanist Conference um, a couple weeks ago, and or last week. I guess it was two weeks ago. This is what happens when I travel a lot. I start forgetting what time of the month it is. Like, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> and um, like all conferences, you know, we were at the bar having drinks um, down in the hotel lobby, and somebody was talking about something that had happened at another conference that happened to a man that was wrong. Um, this guy was wronged. How he was treated was wrong. Um, but as he continued to tell the story, it started becoming about, because this is what women do. Um, and it had to do with somebody's artwork that offended somebody. And, but yeah, the more the guy told the story, the more it became that basically I felt like, and he didn't actually say this, but this is like how I was taking it. It was basically women were bitches and we caused problems. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there. And you could tell by the look on my face that I was just like, um, and I think he could tell by the look on my face because he very quickly ended his story and it's like, oh, I, I need to go say hi to somebody and walked away. Because <laughs> I was about to lay into him. <laughs> and it's so hard because uh, I first noticed this when I was uh, doing a speaking event out in uh, Arkansas. Uh, I met the first guy who was like this and at first, you know, some of the things he, he made points about, okay. Um, but then as he kept talking, I was like, this isn't reality that he's talking about because, you know, some of the guys who said, oh, well, 93% of uh, accidents in the workplace are men and that more men are injured doing heavier labor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so now we, we are going to turn it on its head and blame women for a structure that they had no say-so in, a society that they didn't get a vote on how it would operate, and being taught their whole lives that they are weaker than men 
and there are certain things that women just shouldn't do. Now we have to blame women for all of what men set up. <laughs> um, I I struggled for years with the word feminist. Um, and although I felt like I was a feminist, I didn't like the word, like I had issues with it. It was that scar tissue, religious scar tissue that I still had. And also just when you, when you hear the word feminism, there's this negative connotation that comes with it. And um, several weeks ago, um, you know, that whole yes, all women was happening and I was posting personal stories that had happened to me and the amount of people who came back and then blamed me Oh well, you shouldn't have been drinking, or maybe you shouldn't have been there, or and I was just like, holy crap! You know, even in our movement, I'm victim blaming. Thanks, guys. Luckily, the, I was talking about things that happened years ago, and I dealt with it. And I'm a very strong person, but I can't imagine if I told it right after the situation happened and then was victim blamed because it happens all the time. And I, I, I have it breaks my heart that that happens to women that they're you know the whole victim blaming. but So I got involved with the Yes All Women and was reading a lot of stories and, and people's comments and I couldn't believe like the backlash of, of things and people that, and, you know, that I had respect for that said things that made my skin crawl like, and it pissed me off. And let me tell you that Yes All Women was the best thing I ever got involved in because <laughs> After like two days of it, I posted on Facebook, I am definitely a feminist. <laughs> and I don't have an issue with that word anymore. And, and everybody should be a feminist. I, I couldn't believe um, in 2014, and especially within you know, the, the atheist or secular movement, the amount of misogyny that is still very prevalent. And it's because it's prevalent in our society, in our country, it's how things are. And I don't think that some people even notice it. They don't even see that it's happening. Mm-hmm. It just seems like the norm. And somebody uh, posted something on Facebook I thought was quite brilliant. And it, I, I think a few people didn't quite get what they were saying. But they said, not all men is a crock of shit. All men is a crock of shit. Um, and I thought it was brilliant because that whole not all men thing, you're not helping the situation. Um, no, we're not saying all men. And that whole all men is a crock of shit because there are a handful of people who say things like, they'll give a talk and they'll say, well, all men act like this and all men do this. And I think that's very damaging um, yeah. when you say all men because it's not all men. And as someone who raised boys, I get very offended when people say all men because I think I did a pretty damn good job of raising my boys to be respectful to women. And um, But yeah, that whole not all men, I get that they feel like, nice guys feel like they're being attacked. But the truth is, as a woman, you're sitting in a bar and someone comes over and talks to you. You have no idea the intention of that, that man. Is he going to put something in your drink? Is he really just a nice guy wanting to say hi? I mean, we don't know. And we have to live with our guard up 24-7. You know, if it's dark outside and we're walking down the street, you know, we're taught if you go to your car in a parking lot and there's a van parked next to it to get in on the passenger side or go back into the store and ask somebody to escort you out. Men don't have to live with that stuff, but all women do. Exactly. And, and you know what you said about victim blame? That irritates me the most because, it, you know, um, I put up a post the other week and somebody came on to it and he wasn't even aware of how he sounded. I get what he was trying to say, okay? 
um, here's the sad, pathetic thing about our, our country and our culture is that we do have to teach women to be aware of their surroundings because bad things can happen to them. Now, that is in no way a blame of a victim from my standpoint. It should never happen. It's never acceptable. I don't care if she was butt-fucking naked. I don't care if she was wearing the most, quote-unquote, slutty thing she could wear. I don't care what she was doing, if she was drunk, high, passed out, if she was showing her pussy to the world. I don't care. Rape is still rape, and no still means no. You don't exactly. touch someone if they say no. And, and that's the problem in our society. We don't teach men that their role is to not be rapists. We teach women to not get raped, but we don't teach men not to go and rape. One of the things I taught my sons when they hit puberty um, and spent a lot of time talking about it, especially when they were like high school and they were going to parties, that, that if they were, you know, hooked up with some girl at a party and they were making out and that girl was really drunk, probably not a good idea to sleep with them. Wait until you're both sober. Um, because bottom line is she might be too drunk to consent. And I taught my kids, hey, you have to understand people get drunk to a point that they can't consent. And you might not have any ill intentions, and she might seem willing, but if she's drunk, you are better off to, to cut it off right there. And if you guys want to hook up later when you're sober, that's fine, but don't do it when you're both trashed. Like, it's just not a good idea. It isn't, and you know what? It, honestly, you don't want her to wake up in the morning being a regret, and uh, if you are in your faculties, other things can happen, not just her feeling and thinking that she was raped because she couldn't literally consent, uh, but accidental pregnancy, uh, a, a lot of things can go wrong in that situation. So, yes. Absolutely. It's a great thing. And I, I can't believe how many people think that it's okay to have now, now, we call people who want to have sex with dead bodies sick, okay? That's how our society looks at it. Whether it's right or wrong, whatever. It's, you know, up to people to decide. But who wants to do that? That's about the same kind of thing. They're not really there. You're, you're just basically masturbating into their body. That's, it's kind of twisted. That is a brilliant point. And I never looked at it like that. That is a brilliant point because you're exactly right. If they are not, you know, conscious enough to consent, to participate, it is. It would be like having sex with a dead body. We need to put that on a shirt. <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Sometimes I do those things. But it, it would be to me like, think about it, Jennifer. If you know that your guy is completely passed out, but somehow, for some reason, he has an erection, what do you think you're going to be feeling like? And us women especially, not that men don't, but us women tend to be more emotional. It's not, the connection isn't there. That's not happening. You're just doing your thing to a body. That's gross. Yeah, I wouldn't find that enjoyable. I want someone that participates during sex. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole just laying there, that dead fish thing. Um, no, thank you. I, 
and oh, that that was really really brilliant. I love that because um, I never really thought of it like that, and that is so true. Um, and boy, you know, when boys are growing up, that's what they should be taught. Because seeing, because in their minds, you t- start teaching them that when they're young, you know, in their minds, when they see a girl passed out, they're going to think, ooh, that'd be like having sex with a dead body. That's gross. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen to her. I mean, think about it. Your job as a guy, if you really like a girl, here's what you should do. You should caretake her while she's passed out. Make sure that she's not going to choke on her own vomit. Make sure that nobody's going to touch her. Make sure that she gets to where she should be safely. Do the guy thing, you know, do the good guy thing. Don't exactly. be the guy that does the horrific thing, you know. So that's what we need to be teaching our, our children. Uh, girl or guy, you know, if you like someone, what you should want for them is, is the best thing, not the worst. Yes. You you should want for them to be safe and happy and um I've had lots of talks with, with my kids over the years, and both of my sons have said that um, they, even like with their girlfriends, they don't like having sex after a few drinks. They really prefer being sober because they enjoy it more, and they want to be with a woman who's enjoying it, and that that's important to them, you know. They're like, you know, you have sex with someone who's just lays there. They're like, that's gross. Like, that's not what I want. I want, I want to enjoy it, and I'm just... I'm thankful that I had a relationship with my kids that we could talk about these things. And 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 I I wish that that more um parents would have those talks with their sons cuz like like you said earlier, girls are taught how to protect themselves, you know. And and we talked about several of the scenarios, you know, going out to the parking lot and if you're, you know, if if it's dark and <laughs> we teach our girls all of those things, but nobody really sits down and teaches boys what the right thing to do is. And, and, well, unfortunately, our society does the worst thing. Uh, they teach men that uh, the more women you have slept with, uh, the more macho you are, the more of a man you are. So at some point, for some of these guys, it becomes an ego thing. If they can get into her skirt, if they can have sex with her, even in the most disgusting of forms, um, then, you know, they're considered a hero because they, they hit it with her, you know. Yeah. Whether or not she's just, cognizant of what happened. Which is just terrible. I mean, yeah, this whole idea, and like I said, the misogyny, it runs so deep in our country. And, and again, you know, sometimes people, men will say something, and I kind of want to punch them in the face, but I have to remind myself, hey, maybe they were never taught that that's not okay. Like, maybe they just literally don't know. Because um, nobody said, hey, if you looked at it from this point of view, um, it's, it's sad. It's hard to watch. The things that are said on Facebook, there are days that I have to turn my notifications off because I'm in tears. Like, I just can't read it anymore. I go put my phone in the other room or, you know, because I just, that blinking light, you know, when your phone spits that blinking light, you're like, what is it? You feel this need to, to look. And there are times that I have to get off of Facebook because the things that people say to each other, um, it hurts my heart. I mean, it just, it hurts my heart. Well, you know, I I have been backing off of it more because I find that all it is is a battleground and for some people's really shitty ideas. 
and they will stick to them dogmatically no matter how much you prove that they're wrong. And it, it just seems to me that every day it's more and more distasteful to be there. Like, people have no sense of, you know, they don't want to hear about feminism. They're, they think that feminism is all about women's rights and, and just about taking rights from men. And then you try to explain to them how there are some radical feminists who are very vocal and they, they do feel that men aren't needed and we kind of shift them off to the side and become real feminists who are just for equality. Feminism was never invented to uh, stomp men into the ground. It was invented to bring women up to where they should be. We're not there yes. yet. Proof of that is in all of the laws that have been passing, banning abortion, uh, limiting abortion, closing women's health care clinics. It can be seen in senators' comments, in Congress comments, things that are so absurd that you go, did you ever take a health class? Do you know what a vagina looks like? No. <laughs> and, and, and feminism is necessary because those things still happen. We have people who actually believe that your body has a system where if you're raped, it knows, it knows because you know how your vagina has a second brain, um, and it'll shut the whole thing down. When you have people that stupid running for office, important offices in your country, you know that you need feminism. You need feminism Absolutely. to protect you. I couldn't believe when I read comments, those, the things that those people had said about that, that we can't get pregnant because our, yeah, our vagina has its own brain. I, I, again, I thought it was like an Onion article or a, like, you know, somebody was making a joke. I, like, I, I thought this cannot be real. So I'm Googling it like a bunch of times and I'm trying to find the video so I could see it and because I just, I thought nobody's that stupid. Um, but sadly, yes, they are. Yeah, and, and a number of them. It's not just one. It's it's a collective of the GOP. They are that insanely stupid about women's bodies. And you have to say to yourself, well, I need feminism because, obviously, if these people are in offices, important offices, I'm going to need somebody to back me up because it's going to get ugly. And it has. It has gotten very ugly, even here in Ohio, uh, where the governor has tried to shut down abortion clinics where they have the forced uh, vaginal probe, where uh, he has tried to limit uh, abortion terms back to the heartbeat bill. So as, as soon as there's a heartbeat, you can no longer have an abortion. Things like that are scary, very scary. Women don't need to make happy choices. And when they're limited, it's just hideous. It's hideous. I, and I, I just don't understand that. And I don't understand. I don't understand how women can be um, part of a group <laughs> that that's how they treat women. Um, I'm amazed. You know, people like Sarah Palin that gets up and just says the dumbest shit. I mean, sometimes it's entertaining because you think you really can't be that stupid, right? Um, but these women get up and they say these things, and like, yes, men are. The Bible says men are in charge. And I'm thinking, do you really want to go back to the way it was? You wouldn't be on that TV show running your mouth. You wouldn't be running for a political office. You wouldn't have that say-so. Like, I, I'm like, how do, you, how do you justify 
saying what you're saying and standing for what you stand when you couldn't even do that if things went back to men being completely in control. Well, and that's the funny thing. Uh, you hear them cry, well, let's go back um, to history. History was an ugly place. People died of all sorts of things. I don't think mm-hmm. history is where we need to go. <laughs> and women no. support that baffle me. Yes, I'm about, you know, let, let's move forward. <laughs> let's make the world a better place. Um, yeah. It, um, do you watch the TV show, what is it, The Newsroom? I think it's what it's called. Uh, no, I, I've seen some clips of it, though. Uh, I'm really it, not a big TV boss, but go ahead. Um, I'm a huge TV nut. It's bad. I watch entirely too much of it. Um, but... I'd heard about the show being really good, and I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll watch it. And I finally sat down and watched it. And it, it, the pilot episode, um, he's supposed to be like a famous news anchor, and he's like at a college, and people are asking questions and making comments. And, and one of the students said something about the greatest country in the world, and he goes on this like really long rant about how we're not the greatest country in the world. And um, it's one of the most beautiful rants I've ever heard. And he was so articulate and really nailed it um, with the points that he made. And um, I'll have to find that clip and post it online so you can see it because it's just absolutely beautiful. But, yeah, this whole idea, um, you know, these politicians are are selling people, you know, um, a, a, a pile of bullshit. I mean, it's this whole idea that, you know, back in the, the good old days, there's this, you know, they constantly are talking about the good old days. And I'm like, which one? When people were dying from polio or when we had no minimum wage um, and, and people were starving to death? You know, <laughs> what, what good old days are you referring to? Let's, let's be realistic here because they weren't. Um, that's, that's what's called progress because things get better. You, there are changes. There are things happening. And we progress. And this notion of going back, um, no thank you. I, I don't want to go back to a time um, where I have no say-so. I don't want to go back to a time where I can't vote or we have slavery. Um, no, we need to move forward. I think the fact that in our school systems, they, they gloss over things now. Um, they don't, some, and I don't know if it's all schools or just some, but they don't call it slavery. They have like a different word for it. So it doesn't sound so bad. This whole idea of teaching our youth, our students, um, this, this happier version of how things work is stupid. The only way we can make a better future is if we understand the mistakes that we've made and we make changes. And teaching kids the horrifics of slavery, how horrible women were once treated, how we, you know, our health care, everything, how bad it used to be. These are the mistakes we've made. Now how can we have a better tomorrow? Exactly. And, and I'm offended by that whole uh, treating slavery like it wasn't as horrific as it was. That's not something that we should gloss over. That really needs to be elaborated. Just like uh, the slaughter of the Native Americans. Uh, Native Americans didn't just go, hey, you know what sounds cool? Reservations. Let's do that. You know, history was quite brutal to those that, you know, were overtaken. And I think that we need to recognize that. And especially in the South, I think the South has, like, a complete amount of deniability on it. They don't want to face the fact of how cruel 
an inhumane history was for certain sects of people. Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's like the people who go around with the rebel flags. And I was one of those growing up that I saw it everywhere. And I, you know, always heard, oh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a southern thing. You know, it's a pride and where we come from. And then I grew up and realized what the fuck the flag actually meant <laughs> and was mortified. And every time I see it, uh, my stomach turns. Um, yeah, I mean, people need to know the atrocities that occurred so we can uh, be assured that it never happens again. Exactly. And, yeah, my dad was one, uh, he was born and raised in West Virginia, so he often flew the Confederate flag when we were really little until we started getting older and we were completely humiliated and embarrassed by it. And then we were like, you know, we were hammering him about why are you putting that up? And uh, so finally he gave up, you know, flying that stupid piece of shit flag. But it took years. And a lot of people think of it like that. It's like a sign of pride. Like the South was so glorious. It was so great. Uh, Really, no, it wasn't. It was full of hate monsters who used people as cheap labor like cattle and uh, lynched them and beat them and did such horrific things to them that, you know, they had to grow watermelon in the field so that they could have something like water because water wasn't readily available. They had to defecate in the field. They were sold in the news. They were beaten. Uh, their children were taken from them. They were The females were often raped. I mean, slavery wasn't anything pretty. No, and wasn't it the Duck Dynasty patriarch or whatever, that was one of the statements he made was that, that I think he said something like black people were happier back when there was slavery. And I was just like, holy crap, did you just say that out loud? Like, I couldn't believe, one, that anybody would actually think that. But the fact that he said it out loud um, was mortifying because it says, you know, it says a lot about what he thinks. Well, and that's what they do think. Like, uh, I heard, I saw a comment, a quote from somebody who said that, you know, when the blacks were slaves, at least they had a job. They weren't sitting around, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is really, this shows the mentality of people who are way too privileged. They think that if black people are sitting on their porch enjoying their family, that they're obviously lazy, that they don't have a job. That's their assessment of a people who for 200 years uh, were horrifically tortured. You were better off as slaves in cotton fields. I just can't even wrap my mind around it without wanting to literally choke the shit out of them. Yeah, I I, I read things like that, and I'm like, how... I mean, they seem like they're, they're like sociopaths. I mean, how can you not have empathy? How can you not look at that and know without a shadow of a doubt, that that was wrong and it was horrible and it should have never happened and it should definitely never happen again. Um, yeah, I, you know, you brought up Native Americans and, and you had um, a post on your Facebook page recently and I really appreciated that um, because there there's this attitude with that as well, that the whole, the, the Redskins and people upset that, you know, they're taking away the, the name of their team and I loved that she posted what it actually meant. Because, again, I think sometimes people are not aware. And 
and we have to educate people. And again, that's why it's so important that people like you and I are outspoken and we say, hey, this is wrong. Um, and, and this is why. So like maybe if you don't get it, let me explain it to you why it's not good. Um, but there are, there are things that I just, I, I'm like, how can you as a human being look at another human being and think that they're, that you are so much better than them, that they are, they are so worthless that, yeah, they'd have been better off as a slave. Like, how do you, as a human being, looking at another human being, how can you possibly think that? Exactly. I mean, I'll tell you a story. Uh, not many people will, will recognize the name, but one of my ancestors was Sir William Johnson. And he was actually married to eight Mohawk women, and he traded with the... Uh, now, he, he not just worked with the Mohawk Nation, but with white settlers. So he was a slave owner. He owned, like, the highest amount of slaves pretty much in the north. He had 60. But he also was a traitor to everybody that he came across. He paid for uh, Indian scouts. So, you know, uh, people don't really realize the devastation of the past that I do because it's in my history and I know about it. And I'm very ashamed of it. Uh, I think that the man could have used a nice razor blade across the throat at some point, but uh, lucky for him, he died of syphilis. So people don't realize how horrible history was for any person that was a minority here in America. I mean, they tried to enslave the Native Americans, and when that didn't work, they decided that they wanted to eradicate them. So there are literally hundreds of tribes that are extinct because they were completely, it was a complete genocide. And, you know, people don't think uh, that these baseball teams and stuff is really expensive because you have Chief Wahoo and the Redskins and stuff, but it is because it's a reminiscent of the past and how we were hunted down and hated and called savages and, and tortured to death. Death did not come easy, especially when you were being scalped. I can't even imagine. And I don't know how a human being can do that to another human being. I, going back to, like, I, I just, how do you do that to another human being? How do you, I, there are people in this world that I do want to punch in the face sometimes, but I can't imagine <laughs> actually torturing them. You know, I, there are people in America that I think we probably would be better off if they were not around, you know. But again, actually, like, torturing somebody. I, I don't understand how anyone can do that to another human being. Well, and you know, I am a big pacifist, so I couldn't even do the whole punching of face. I can imagine it, but uh, that's as far as, as Rachel goes. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah. actually punch somebody, and um, but it's nice to think about sometimes. It helps me get through that moment with that person, but I am. I am a pacifist as well. Uh, and, you know, you're right, and we do think about that as human beings because you think about all of the injustice in the world that can't be settled, and it's, it's definitely stressful because as a, when you're a real humanist, when you're a real person who cares, some of these social inequalities and cruel things that you see, they just drive that part of empathy of you that, that makes you wish that you weren't such a pacifist, but, you know, that passivity is for the better good. So. Yeah, I, I totally feel for you because there are times when I just want to give somebody a good wallop upside the head and I'm like, it's the better part of me that tells me no. Yes. I'm, um, 
Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of people are shocked that, you know, my husband and I were military and, and he actually went to Afghanistan and um, that did a lot of damage to him because, um, you know, he's a humanist as well. And the idea of, of hurting another human being is devastating. And I think a lot of people are shocked that, that we were military because that's how we feel. Um, but, yeah, I just, um, I would have made a really, really bad, like, frontline soldier because I would have been trying to feed people and take care of them. <laughs> I just, my desire to help, you know, is is very strong. Well, and I think that that's a great thing, honestly. I think that's what makes you you. So, you know, there well, there are people who can do it, and I, I appreciate them as, for what they do. And, you know, I don't like the blood, the gore, but I appreciate that they exist. So, but for those of us who are the weenies and we stand in the back going, can't do it, nope. You know, <laughs> we have our place, too, and our, and our value and our importance. Absolutely. And I, you know, I really, I really hope that we're not about to get into a, another big war, um, you know, all that's happening in, in Iraq. Um, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's sad. Um, the, the horrible things that human beings do to each other is, it's tragic. And, um, and again, it's why it's, it's so important that we don't forget, we don't gloss over, we don't, make excuses. We say this was horrible. This should have never happened and let's make sure it doesn't happen again. This is true and uh, yeah, I saw the news update on Iraq and I'm like, oh, can't you people settle down for five minutes? (laughs) You know, it's like every time you turn around, the Middle East is exploding with something and all of the, you know what, if we got rid of religion tomorrow, think about how much money we would save on wars. Oh yeah, because it, it it's it's always something to do with religion, um, or at least you know if it's about power and money, then they use religion to get it done. You know, religion's always tied into it. Um, you know, the the Carolina Psychiatric Conference is coming up this fall. You know, Faisal's going to be talking, and um, he's actually I've got a new podcast coming out. It should have already been out. Again, you know, I get busy and I just haven't gotten everything done, but. Um, I've asked him to come on my show and talk about what's happening there. Uh, we were at the AHA conference together and we were having drinks afterwards and we were hanging out. Um, and he was talking about the fact that if he wasn't, if he hadn't gotten his visa and it was in America now, that he would probably be dead. And um, that really, that really hit home to me because this is a person I consider a friend, um, a, a great human being. And someone I've hung out with and had drinks on numerous occasions. And, you know, joked and talked and, and, you know, we give each other a hard time. We're always making um, religious jokes. He's always saying, God bless you to me. And I'm always saying, you know, I hope Allah shines upon you. (laughs) So we're always kind of harassing each other. But when he said, had I not gotten a visa last year, if I was not in America, I would probably be dead. And I just thought, holy shit, talk about, you know, really bringing it home. Um, What's happening there is horrific, and I don't even know how to fix it. I, um, after Saddam Hussein was executed, or right before he was executed, actually, and I don't remember who wrote the piece, but I had read something, um, and somebody wrote that is as horrific as a man that he was. That if we, by removing him from power, 
that the people that would take over would be worse. And I remember reading the article and thinking, well, that's really, you know, interesting. And then, you know, I've kind of watched, and sure enough, that country is even more unstable than it was before. And so, what, you know, what is the answer? How do we fix it? And I'm really interested to hear what, what Chase has to say about that and, and his viewpoint, his take, because he's from there. It's where he grew up. And, um, you know, how do we fix it? And I think as humanists, I think it's very important that we try to find ways to fix it, um, to make the world a better place. I mean, there are, there are innocent children in that country that are living through things that nobody should ever have to live through. And, and the, the emotional scars that they're going to have will be life-lasting. You know, it, it, um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I used to date a false state of Islam, and one of the things that he told me was that when he was little, his neighbor had been accused of, uh, what was it, blasphemy of the Quran. And do you know that those people went into his home and drugged him out into the street and beat him to death? Oh, God. Right there, you know, in front of the the home and in front of his family, in front of the next-door neighbor's family. And so he knew that uh, he was he had already been known as an atheist and he was one of those that couldn't, you know, not talk about it. So uh, he was very leery of going back home because he knew that if he stayed there too long, the likelihood of being killed increased as time went on. So, yeah, it's very dangerous and very deadly in the Muslim country to be an out atheist because they, they're not playing. They, they will hunt you down. Uh, they will easily kill you because the law... The, the justice system there is so corrupt and bribes are given and uh, unfortunately several governors were actually killed shortly after for supporting doing away with the blasphemy laws. So that that tells you um, it's that volatile in those countries and, and poor Faisal, I think that it's great that he got out when he did because they wouldn't have let him live. He, he's right. They would have... Uh, been bound to honor kill him. That's, I just, there are some religious people I really don't like. I don't like what they stand for or what they're doing. But I don't think we should drag them out in the street and kill them. You know, like I don't understand how that's an answer to anything. Um, It's just, I can't imagine. And, you know, as vocal as I am, and I have gotten death threats over the years and and really kind of laughed it off, um, but I don't think I would be vocal if I lived in that country. I think I would be pretending I was a Muslim. Like, I don't think I would ever speak out. I I, I can't imagine. My fear of death and torture really outweighs my need to be vocal. Yeah, and, and you know, they'll kill not just you, but if they have any inkling that one of your family members or more is the same way, they have no qualms with killing your whole family. I remember a story of few years ago from Pakistan and it was these two young boys they were in another neighborhood and they were just playing uh, games with the boys of that neighborhood well they were on their way leaving from playing the games and someone accused them of uh, robbing another person do you know that that community got together and they beat those two little boys to death 
and then they drug them through and then they drug them through the street, they hung them from the water tower. And once this were done with all of the hideousness, then they drug their bodies through the street and dropped them off at the morgue. All because of an accusation that they stole something and they hadn't and uh they didn't even they, they it never made it to well, we called the police and you know, this is going to happen. No street justice that was bitterly I watched the video and I had to turn my my head at some point because when I realized that the one brother was dead and the other was dying, I was like, this is unimaginable. So. Innocent children. No justice. You know, just torturing little children. And who does that? Like, again, I, is the world just, like, rampant with sociopaths? Is... Is what they're being taught with their religion corrupting their minds that much? You know, where is their humanity? Well, you can see that uh, when you look at the Islamic countries, you can see the increased amount of lack of education, poverty, uh, violence against women, uh, child brides, uh, abuse. It's so horrific. No, no woman from a civilized first world country would want to go there and say this is a great place to be. I. What was the the actress? She was from. Can't remember what country, uh, but she's a famous actress, and and she had gone to some film festival, and somebody kissed her on the cheek as a greeting, and. Um, the people in her country were demanding that she be returned and, and, and receive lashings for allowing a man to touch her in that way, and her her hair wasn't completely covered. And I just thought... Wow. I thought I would never go home. Like, <laughs> uh, I would never go home. Um, of course, she has family. Her husband and her children, I think, are still in her country. She was over there um, visiting in a... And of course, you know, a lot of people are calling for, um, for, you know, equality for her, for justice, for for sympathy, for you know, her not being um, have that happen to. I haven't heard anything lately, so I'm very interested to see what has happened um, since. But you know, the person who reached over and kissed her on the cheek in his country—that's a normal custom. But he didn't know. Um, by doing that, that could happen. And so um, he went on the news and was interviewed and was, you know, pretty much in tears, you know, saying, please don't, you know, I did it, I didn't know. Um, but I, I, I don't know how these things are allowed to happen. I don't know how it's tolerated and, and how people, I just, I, oh. I, you know, I, I complain a lot about what's happening in America because I feel like we're headed in that direction, and that's what scares me. Um, but I am so grateful to live in a country where I don't have to fear for my life for being an atheist. Well, I take that back. I kind of do, but not in the same way as, as these people do. And, and I'm concerned that if we if we don't continue to progress and we don't continue to demand equality for all, for women, for gays, for everybody, that we're going to wind up just like that. Um, and I have talked to many Christians that 
keep saying things like, well, if we would just follow the Bible, then the country would be better. And I'm like, no, we would be just like what's happening in Iraq. Exactly. And, and people don't get that. And the horror is that, you know, they have this adultery laws, and that's what it is. Uh, since she's married and has a family, uh, and another man kissed her, that's considered adultery in their country. And there's been women who've been sentenced to as many as 80 lashes. And any doctor will tell you, you will not survive 80 lashes. So for women, you know, they're kind of nice in this aspect. What they'll do is they'll take you and give you 40 lashes, which will leave your body battered and and horribly bruised. Then they'll take you to the hospital for a few days. So the hospital can administer medicine to keep you alive then take you back for the next 40 lashes, uh, which, of course, will be right back in the hospital because it, when we're talking about lashing, we're talking about a, a reed that is thick and hard, and when it hits you, it instantly bruises your skin. So there's been people who have died during this, and they do that to women in the streets uh, or wherever uh, just for things like that, like uh non-family member giving her a kiss on the cheek or a hug or something like that where you're accused of adultery. Oh, yeah, or rape. Yes. Um, you want to talk about, like, the ultimate, ultimate victim blaming. You know, you, you survive being raped only to be basically um, beaten to death or very close to um, as a punishment for being impure. Yeah, or worse, uh, you get to spend 12 years in prison uh, for being raped, which there are women. In fact, in these countries, if you look, the majority of women in prison that are there because they were raped by someone. And a lot of times, the horrible thing is in Islam, it's, it's your family member because those are the only ones that can get close to you. So it's a very tragic religion, and I don't think we need to be like the Bible because the Bible is a very brutal, ugly thing. And uh, we have actually succeeded despite the Bible, not because of it. Exactly. Yeah, because if we were following the Bible, you know, there would be, we would be doing things just like what's happening in some of these other countries. And um, and again, you know, why feminism is so important, because some of these women have no voice, and we need to be that voice for them. Absolutely. Yeah, we we do, and feminism not just reaches America, but we get, you know, I've been lucky enough to speak to women in other countries who aren't as privileged as I am, and I know that I'm privileged. Um, and it breaks my heart because I know that they will never get the kind of rights and dignity and respect that I have, but I am a voice not just for me and, and my fellow American women, but for women all over the world, and especially little girls who, you know, at some point in the future, they're going to have their genitals mutilated. When you think about things like that, feminism needs to exist until we can eradicate things like that. I hope for a better tomorrow. Yeah, I really do. I really hope that um, that the work so many of us are doing 
and being voices that we are actually making a change. Um, I, I hope that within my lifetime I see peace and I see equality for women. Um, I, I am often shocked and amazed that in 2014, when we have the technology that we have, um, you know, man has been on the moon. I can watch TV and play around on Facebook on my cell phone anywhere I go. Um, the, we have these medical advances that are saving lives, and yet the atrocities that so many religions promote are still happening. I, I, I really hope that within my lifetime there's a change. Me too. And uh, I've got to get going. I've got a ton of uh, unpacking to do. Unfortunately, I've been in the process of moving and somebody has too many clothes and shoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations on the move. I hope it was a happy one. And I saw on Facebook you were talking about moving in. Um, my husband and I hope to move within the next year and I'm very excited about it. Um, but the idea, we have lived in this house for oh, 15 years and have collected a lot of crap. And so um, we're, we are going to now, we've actually started getting boxes. We're going to start going through things and figuring out um, you know, what we can get rid of, what we can download, um, what we don't, we still want to keep, but we don't need right now just so we can get things out of the house when we put it up for sale. Um, you know, it, it looks open and airy. And, um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to move, but not the actual move part. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. Trust me. I'm looking over at my stuff right now going, yeah, yeah, I can see why that would be so much of a pain. And it, it is a happy move. I finally found somebody who, you know, we're very compatible and we're on the same level on a lot of things. And he's a very patient, wonderful guy. And he's a wonderful father. And uh, so I probably in the future will be, you know, doing the whole marriage thing with him and then being the stepmom of four beautiful little children. So, um, Wow. Well, congratulations. Um, I've only met him via Facebook, but um, I thought he was a really nice person and had a great sense of humor. And so I am, I am very happy for you. You, you, deserve, you deserve somebody who is going to treat you well. And so I'm happy that, that you are finding that. Well, thank you, and and yeah, much appreciated on my part as well. And yeah, he has he has a good sense of humor, uh, kind of corny at times, but yeah, he's a great guy. So anyhow, uh, and, that's going to do it. Well, yeah, that's fantastic. I was just going to say, as someone who's been in a relationship with the same person for almost two decades now, I can tell you that sense of humor is huge. That is. That is what gets you through those tough times. And no matter how compatible you are, no matter what kind of great relationship you have, there are going to be tough times. It's just life. You know, tragedy happens. You know, just things happen in life. And having somebody that can make you laugh is, is very, very, very important. And so I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you so much for, for having me on. I've enjoyed talking with you. Um, I just want to talk about the conference one last time. Um, the registration is open, so you can get your tickets. It's the fourth annual Carolina Secular Conference. We are going to be in 
uh, beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina during the fall. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Western North Carolina in the fall is absolutely gorgeous. You will see colors of leaves that you've never seen anywhere else. So it's three days, amazing speakers, networking sessions. Uh, we'll have a costume party, um, entertainment. You'll get to meet people, um, like-minded people, and you'll and, and you'll have just an awesome time. Again, our guests are Steve Alquist, Greta Christina, uh, Faisal Saeed Amutar, um, Mandy Thomas, Bridget Crutchfield, Harry Shaughnessy, and Fred Edwards with a very special guest performer, rapper Graydon Square. All of this will take place at the Hilton Executive Park. Discounted rooms are available. In Charlotte, North Carolina, September 28th, or 26th through the 28th, you can register now at carolinasecularassociation.org. Seats are limited this year, and so you can get yours now. All right. That sounds wonderful. And thank you, Jennifer. Uh, anytime in the future you want to come back on, I'd be more than glad to have you. Well, that would be fun. I enjoyed a little girl time, and um, I think together we can definitely make a change in this world. I think so, and you've got that passion, so that, that makes it all worth it. And I really enjoy your company as well. So, Same here. All right, well, you take care, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, you too. Okay, bye-bye.